You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I'd like you to open them up with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8. We're going to continue our study through uh, the Bible on Wednesday nights. We're just going through the Bible. We find ourselves tonight in 1 Kings chapter 8. This is the occasion where Solomon, King Solomon will be dedicating the temple. You'll, you'll remember in our recent studies that uh, Solomon took great detail to build the temple. There in Jerusalem, there up on the Temple Mount. The Temple Mount is still there today in Jerusalem. Uh, there is this platform kind of in the center of, of Jerusalem where the temple once stood, Solomon's Temple which ended up being destroyed, but then rebuilt and then expanded and greatly improved by Herod. And that was the the temple that stood in Jesus's day. But the site is still there. And the temple that was built there originally by Solomon would eventually be dedicated by Solomon. And that's the account that we'll read here in chapter eight. Now, what is the temple? What, What is this Ark of the Covenant Uh, Besides Indiana Jones, what do we know about it? We know that it is something that God instituted in the nation of Israel. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, you remember Moses bringing the children out in the great exodus. Once he had his people out and isolated there in the wilderness, he then set up a covenant with them a covenant that was based on the law, what we call the Old Testament law. Remember, Moses received this law in tablets of stone. And the first tablets got broken because the people sinned and Moses came down in frustration. But he went back up on the mountain and received again the tablets of stone, the Ten Commandments, you and I might uh, you know, think of it that way, but God gave Moses all kinds of instruction concerning the law, concerning a covenant relationship that he wanted to have with the people of Israel. And this is the heart of God. God is interested in relationship. But to have relationship with him, it has to be based on covenant agreement. And it's a covenant that he sets the terms of. A lot of people think they have a relationship with God based on their own covenant. Oh, yeah, maybe you've heard this. Oh, yeah, I have it worked out with the Lord. I have a relationship with him. I know God. I, I'm a good person. I have it worked out with God. Well, that's, they have their own covenant worked out with God, an agreement that they imagine God is a party to. But how many of you know to have a covenant, it takes both parties to agree, right? Uh, I mean, when we think of the marriage covenant, Both people have to say, I do. It can't just be one saying, I do, and the other one says, I don't. (laughs) It has to be built on this mutual relationship. And that's what God is interested in with us. And we study the old covenant. Why? It seems, hasn't it, isn't it outdated? Hasn't God instituted a new covenant by which you and I have relationship with him? That's true. But the Bible also teaches us that in the old covenant there were foreshadowings of the new covenant. So there are insights for us. There are truths. There are things that we can learn about the new covenant 
as we study and reflect on the Old Covenant, foreshadowing. You know, when, if the sun's behind you and you're walking, your shadow is out in front of you, right? It, it looks a lot like you. It's profiled. It's, sha- it's kind of shaped like you. It's not you, but it's like you. And so the, the Old Covenant was a foreshadowing. It's a picture. It's a type. It's a representation of what God would ultimately bring, be bringing in the New Covenant, And the new covenant, of course, is a relationship that God now establishes with us in a personal relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus brought his disciples there at the Last Supper, remember this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood given for the remission of sins. When he said that to those Jewish disciples, they had a great picture of, of the old covenant. They knew all about blood sacrifice. They, all, they knew all about atonement for sin. They had a, a wealth of understanding of what Jesus was kind of talking about, not in full measure. They didn't know it all until after the resurrection and then the Holy Spirit began to expound the new covenant to them. But they knew something of what he was talking about because they lived their whole life under the old covenant. Well, this old covenant included a place, a specific place of worship, and it was to be where God's presence would symbolically reside among the people. I say symbolically because God's presence is everywhere. There's no place you can go where God's present, God is not present. He is omnipresent. But God wanted a symbolic place where the people would come and worship and pray and have fellowship with him. That's what all the feasts were about. It was this having meal and fellowship relationship with God. This was the place where the priests were instructed to offer sacrificial lambs, and the blood was to be sprinkled on what was known as the mercy seat, which was a part of the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark is just this kind of ornate box that held the covenant, the, the Ten Commandments, the law, the stone tablets. But it represented God's presence in the nation. It represented his holiness to be approached only through covenant relationship, only through blood sacrifice that would atone for the sins of the nation. So you can already see when we think about the cross, when we think about the blood of Jesus, the new covenant, we see the types, we see the foreshadowing that that God still desires relationship, but it's relationship that must be based on covenant In other words, he must agree and we must agree. He makes the offer of relationship to us through faith in Jesus Christ. And we agree with that covenant by believing it. Whosoever believes that God has has offered this covenant, we become partakers of it with him. We We become in relationship with God, born again, and our sins are forgiven. And this is the new covenant that you and I enjoy. But as we look to the temple dedication here, I think there are some truths for us that we can transport right over into our relationship with the Lord as well. It says this, you're there in 1 Kings 8. Let me kind of uh, remind you what, what Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and verse 4. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, so also as living stones... You and I are being built up 
a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul connects the old temple stones and building to the new testament, the new temple, if you will, you and I, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God no longer symbolically dwells with his people. He literally dwells in the heart of his people by his Holy Spirit. And as we gather together, and that's my sense of Peter, that when we come together like living stones, we are being built up a spiritual house. God wants to dwell among us. I think we sensed a little of that tonight, even as we sang in worship. Our corporate gathering brings a, a, a promise of God's presence. Isn't, didn't Jesus say, where two or more are gathered, there I am in their midst? So we come together for that fellowship together, that presence of God in our midst, that dynamic of God's relationship with us that we find as we gather together. So, With that in mind, let's take a look at how Solomon dedicated this first temple. Verses 1 through 13, the placing of the ark. It's a long chapter. I'm going to summarize parts of it, so don't worry. We won't read each and every verse, but I'll give you the gist of it and then some thoughts for us to close. Verse 1, now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore, all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the, at the feast in the month of Ethamim, Ethanim, yeah, which is the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. Also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him, uh, were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. Then the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. You remember we looked at this last week, the the description of the temple itself, and these angels that had been overlaid with gold, they're part of the furnishings within the temple. And verse 8, the poles extended so that the ends of the poles could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from outside, and they, were, and they are here to this day. So this was written, obviously, while the temple was still standing. Verse 9, nothing was in the ark except the two tablets of stone, which Moses put there at Horeb, when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And it came to pass, when the priests came out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon spoke, the Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell in forever." The placement of the ark. 
prior to the temple, the ark was stationed in a temporary dwelling. You remember when they were traveling out in the wilderness, they were on the move all the time. It's not like you could build a building for a place of worship. They had a tabernacle, a tent. God had given them instruction, clear instruction on how to build it, how to lay it out, where to place the Ark of the Covenant, how to offer sacrifices and atonement for the sins of the people. All of that was the work of the priests who were a tribe of Levi. And so now that they are permanent in the land, they are actually building a permanent tabernacle, a temple. It's going to become a stationary building where the ark is going to dwell. They're no longer wandering in the wilderness. They're no longer on the move. They are now in the promised land, stationed there. Jerusalem is its capital. The temple, the tabernacle had been dwelling in the city of David. The city of David is right next door to Jerusalem. It's a part of Jerusalem today. In fact, it's part of uh, the greater area of Jerusalem. But So David lived in the city of David, but this, this place where they built the temple was up the, up the hill to the north, a little bit from the city of David, on the Temple Mount. Solomon has constructed the temple, and now he's got this ceremony. It's time to dedicate the temple. Seven years we've been building it. You know, the, as we looked at all the detail and the gold, the ornate, uh, you know, magnificence of the temple. Now the temple is going to actually house the Ark of the Covenant. God is coming into the house. The presence of the Lord symbolically in the Ark of the Covenant is being carried in. The priests only can carry the Ark of the Covenant because it represents the holiness of God. Not just anyone can carry the, carry the Ark. We know from other places in the Bible, men that even just accidentally touched the Ark were struck dead because God's holiness was being represented there in, these, in, in, in the temple and in the Ark of the Covenant. So the priests carry it in, and Solomon gathers all the nation, all the leaders. It's this, this, this kind of celebration. They're sacrificing animals on the way, so there's this large time of feasting and, and fellowshipping. It's this great celebration. We're bringing the Ark into the temple. And God really endorses this moment, doesn't he? It says that the, the glory cloud of the Lord filled the temple. Now, we don't know what exactly that looked like, but it was so thick that the priests could not minister, meaning they couldn't see to do their priestly duties, the ministering of the sacrificing and the offerings and things. It, it, the cloud of God, the presence of God so filled the temple that it was visibly, uh, you know, present to all that were there. I mean, that would be quite a manifestation, wouldn't it? We wouldn't, we wouldn't mind the glory cloud of God coming in here right now, right? And just feeling, so you couldn't even see me, right? There's just the presence of God so, so, prick, uh, so thick in our midst. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but God makes this visible uh, manifestation of himself and it's as if he is saying, I am in this place, I am blessing this work, I am endorsing this temple, and uh, we see that Solomon is there kind of leading this group, but he's not a priest, he's not touching any of these things, but the presence of the Lord is there. Now, this same event is described for us in Second Chronicles chapter 5. I'll just read a couple excerpts from that description to give you a little more kind of insight, a little more detail as to this glory cloud that filled. 
It says it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place. I'm in Second Chronicles 5.11. Uh, you don't need to turn, I'll just read it, but, but just to give you a little more insight on what's going on there in 1 Kings 8. For all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were with the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brethren, stood in the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps. And with them, 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So Chronicles gives us a little more information about this event. It wasn't just uh, them bringing the ark in. There was this great musical expression of worship. This was a worship service. This was a worship concert as they brought the ark in. You can imagine all those trumpets, all those harps, all those cymbals, all those singers. Just imagine this offering of worship that's going up. God's, the ark of God coming into the presence, uh, coming into the temple of God, the house of God. And it says, when they began to praise, when they began to worship, that was the kind of the event that triggered the presence of God showing up in this glory cloud. Now, the glory cloud didn't show up all the time. There are some occasions when we see this, when the Lord was leading the children through the, through the wilderness, he led them by this cloud. But it's as if the Lord wanted the people to know that in this moment, in this place, as you are honoring me in your nation, as you are putting me at the center, at the capital of your, of your nation and your hearts, as you are gathered to worship me in one accord with one voice, singing and praising, for the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. In that place, in that moment, in that unity of heart, I am there with you. I will bless that place. I will be with you in that place. And so the Lord allows his visible presence. As I said, God is everywhere all the time. But God lets us see, the children of Israel see that he is there right now as if to endorse it, as if to say, in this, I am well pleased. When you come together to worship me, I'll meet, I'll meet with you in a special way. When you unify your hearts and glorify and honor me, when you put me at the forefront of your heart and your life, I will be there to meet you. I will be there to bless you. I will be there in, 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 in assurance to you can know that I am there with you. You know, like I said, we don't see the glory cloud in our midst, but we have the promise of God. We have the word of God, which is even more sure than any visible manifestation. Because you know, uh, 
devils can imitate certain visible manifestations, right? But we have a more sure word of prophecy, the word of God, who said, Jesus said, if you'll, when you gather with me, there I am in your midst. Peter said, when you come together, you're like living stones building up a house for God to dwell. That's why I believe the Lord is dynamically engaged in our, with our hearts when we come together, when we come together in worship. You know, just when you come, when we sing, when you, when you gather in worship, don't just let it be that warm-up for the, for the message. Don't let it just be, well, we'll sing a few songs. I kind of like to sing anyway. Okay, the music is nice. Let it be a time of worship. Let the Lord meet you. The Lord will meet you as you center your heart on Him, as you kind of put the distraction of the day out and let God become centered, central again in our gathering. I believe that He'll minister to you there. I believe that He will speak to you there. I believe that His glory will touch you as you set your heart to worship Him. Solomon, back to 1 Kings chapter 8. Solomon now speaks to the people. He says in verse 14, Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to my father David and with his hand has fulfilled it, saying, Since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who shall come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled his word, which he spoke, and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised, and I have built a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel, and there I have made a place for the ark in which is the covenant of the Lord, which he made with our fathers when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Solomon lets the people know what you're seeing This glory cloud, what you're witnessing is God fulfilling his promise. And he gives this kind of brief history. My father David wanted to build a house. The Lord said, no, it will be your son, but I will allow it. I will honor it. And Solomon is simply confirming that what you're witnessing today is God fulfilling his promise, God establishing his covenant that he made 500 years ago. Out in the wilderness, when we came out of Egypt, God, de- God declared these things to us, that he would be- dwell with us in our midst, and now this is the place where God is going to re- be represented in our nation. This relationship by covenant is now ours, manifested here in the temple. And it struck me this, this way, but when I was kind of preparing this, the detail, the... Um, just the intentional heart of Solomon, David, and the nation, the priests, how focused they were. They wanted God in their midst. They wanted to make a place for the ark. They wanted a place where they could worship. They wanted a place where God could be glorified. 
And I thought just in my own life, you know, and I think for ours as well, Lord, I always want to have place in my temple for the ark. I always want to have that, that touch of your spirit in my life. Uh, and, you know, they were very intentional about this. They were very, you know, they got to see that glory cloud because they were very diligent in preparing that place. And my thought is, have you made room in your heart tonight for the ark? The ark representing the presence of God, the the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Are you intentional about that? Lord, fill me afresh and anew. Oh God, meet me today as I pray. Lord, I need your presence on my life. I don't want to just take for granted. God said he would never leave me nor forsake me. And I know that he's with me, but I want to make room in my heart for the Lord. I want to be intentional about being with him, gathering with him, gathering with his people. I want to be focused and diligent about, just as Solomon and these people were, they wanted that, that was such a moment for them. And they've spent all this time for that, for that event, for that place. And so, Lord, this needs to be the most important thing in my life. I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I want you at the center of my heart and my life. I want to be very diligent to make a place for the ark, for the presence of God, for that covenant relationship that I have with him, to be alive, to be vibrant, life in the spirit, that it would include worship from my heart, that it would include prayer, as we will see here, Solomon is going to pray, that it would include our gathering together, that I would be with other believers, because God said that, that there is a special ministry of his presence when I gather with others. So I want to be diligent and intentional about gathering regularly with my brothers and sisters, that we could worship together. This is a healthy thing in our life as it was a healthy thing in the nation of Israel, keeping, keep, keeping God's presence very alive and focused in their nation. And so it is with you and I. You know, you can become very distracted. You know, you can become very caught up with all kinds of other things and other priorities. Are you making a place for the ark? And when I say the ark, you know what I mean the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you making room for that? Is, he, is that being nurtured in prayer? Are you inviting the Lord? Are you taking some moments out of your life to worship, just to be still and be, allow the Holy Spirit to be honored in your heart, to kind of reset your priorities? And so I think it's healthy for us. We have many New Testament, New Covenant encouragements about prayer, about worship, about gathering. And so I think the same spirit, God wants to meet with us. God wants to be near us. God wants that interaction with us. But you know what? We have to to make it a priority. We have to choose to meet with the Lord. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you, the Lord said. You must come away and be with the Lord. And so they make this wonderful statement by building this place for the ark, and God honors it with his presence and the glory cloud. Solomon then goes on to pray. He tells the people what's happening, and then he begins to pray. Now, this is a long prayer. I'm going to read a good section of it now, but I'm telling you I'm going to skip a big section of it, even though it may not seem like I'm skipping much. You, I am. Trust me. Let's pick it up in verse... 
Sorry. Verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God in heaven above or on earth below like you who, who, um, who keep your covenant and mercy with your servants who walk before you with all their hearts. You have kept what you promised your servant David, my father. You have both spoken with your mouth and fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Therefore, Lord God of Israel, now keep what you promised your servant David, my father, saying you shall not fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. Only if your sons take heed to their way that they walk before me as you have walked before me. And now I pray, O God of Israel, let your word come true, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. God, you you don't need a house. Verse 28, yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, And listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today, that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place, and may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon begins to pray, and in his prayer, he just affirms, Lord, we're here today because you have kept promise to us. We are here today because you have instructed us. And Lord, we've built this house for you, but God, you're a God of all the heavens You do not need a house. You do not dwell in this temple which we have built. And yet, Lord, may it have significance in that as we pray here to you, you will look here. You will hear us. You will honor this symbolic place where we have come to gather and worship you and honor your name. God, please hear us. And when you hear us, forgive us. Be merciful. And so Solomon understands this is just a building. It has no significance other than God has allowed us to meet with him here. And his prayer is, Lord, when we turn to this temple, wherever we may be, if we will turn to Jerusalem and pray, Lord, let it be as though we are meeting with you in the temple. Hear our heart and hear our prayer. Solomon is really just inviting the Lord's ear to be attentive to their prayer. This temple merely represents a place where we meet with God. And when we meet with God, we we pray and he hears us. He forgives us. We find mercy. We find his grace. We find his help. Daniel, you remember Daniel many years later after the temple had been long destroyed and he had been taken, he grew up in Babylon, Babylon, a a far distant land, but it said that every day Daniel would go up to his room and what? He would turn and face Jerusalem and he would pray. 
Daniel knew this prayer that Solomon had made. Daniel knew that, that he had, uh, Solomon had asked God, when, wherever we are, if we turn to this place, hear our prayer. Daniel was a man of prayer, and he would turn, just by habit, turn to Jerusalem to pray. It was just a symbolic expression of faith and prayer. Of course, God can hear your prayer no matter whatever direction you face. But for the nation of Israel, this was a a symbol of prayer and communion with God. The beautiful thing about our new covenant is that God is with us wherever we go. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm with you even to the end of the age. You can turn any direction. God is among you. God is with you. God hears our heart in prayer in any place at any time because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to turn and face Jerusalem. We don't even, not even sure which direction that is here in America. But we know that we can turn our hearts towards heaven and God will hear us. God will answer our prayer. You know, that's why the Jews, even today, that Western Wall, they go there to pray. It's just the last bit of what was the original temple. It's just a foundation wall. It's not even the temple itself, but it's, an, it's, it's the only place they have to even remember where the temple once stood, and so they go there now to pray because they believe that God will hear them when they pray there. But we have even a greater confidence when we pray. The confidence that we have in him, in Jesus, John said, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Prayer. Prayer is is such a wonderful privilege. Prayer is such a wonderful opportunity for us as believers Solomon, oh God, wherever we go, if we, if we turn and, and, and put in our hearts this place, oh God, hear our prayer. We have these promises of the new covenant. I will hear your prayer. Wherever you are, I'm with you. Pray. Make your requests known. Paul said, be anxious for nothing but in everything. Through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known unto God. Prayer is such a powerful tool. It's such a great opportunity for us. And yet I think, I'll confess, I I treat it as kind of this obligation sometimes. Well, I better pray. Tried everything else. Better time to pray. But prayer needs to be that central part of my turning and relationship with him. Solomon goes on in his prayer, and this is where I'm going to just skim. He goes from 31 through 40. He prays for mercy, that in any situation, that you you would, you would forgive us, Lord, and hear prayer. If we end up being defeated by our enemies, if we end up turning away in the future, Lord, and you allow enemies to come and have victory over us, Lord, in that moment when we turn and pray, hear our prayer and deliver us. He goes on to say, forgive us and hear us if, there's, if we rebel and you send plague or famine, you shut up heaven and you bring, bring a drought. Lord, in that case, when we pray, hear us and answer our prayer. And that's, that's true of sometimes even, I believe, our nature, even as Christians. There are times when circumstance gets us to prayer, doesn't it? But Solomon is saying, Lord, even in that case, even when, we're, even when it's an emergency prayer, please hear us. Please be merciful to us. 
even when we should have been praying all along, but now we're in trouble, and now the enemy's come, and now famine has struck, and now we're, now we're in need. Lord, if that's what it takes to bring us to pray, at least hear us then, Lord, and in mercy, answer our prayer. How many of you can relate to that kind of prayer, emergency prayers? Aren't you glad that he hears those too? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. He says something in verse 41. Follow with me here. He talks about the foreigner. Moreover, concerning a foreigner who is not of your people, Israel, but has come from a far country for your namesake, for they will hear of your great name and your strong hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this temple, hear him, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you that all peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, and do, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this temple which I have built is called by your name. Interesting, Solomon says, Lord, others are going to hear about you. Others are going to know that there is a God in Israel. And they're going to come, and they're going to come seeking this God. And Lord, even when the foreigner, even when the Gentile, non-Israel person comes to pray, Lord, if he comes and puts his faith in the true and living God, may you hear his prayer also. It's kind of this missionary-minded prayer that he has. He's interceding for those that may hear of God's reputation and come and pray. And it's interesting that Jesus... When he came into the temple, you remember, they're out in the outer courts of the temple, known as the court of the Gentiles, there were money tables and money changers set up, right? They had turned it into a little, the outer court of the temple, which was called the court of the Gentiles. It was called the court of the Gentiles because that's the place that the Gentiles, the foreigners, were to be able to come and pray. That was the open door to the nations. The temple itself was only available for the Jews and then, of course, the priests. But God wanted all nations to be able to come and pray. And the court of the Gentiles was to be preserved for all who could come and pray. But the Jews had turned it in, the religious leaders of the day, they'd turned it into just kind of a marketplace. And that's, uh, we don't see Jesus violent very often in the New Testament, do we? But this is one occasion. He turned the tables over. He, he made a whip. He drove them out of there. What did he say? This is my father's house. My father's house shall be a what? A house of prayer. This is a place where all nations can come and pray and cry out to the living God. And you've turned it in to a place of merchandise. And it brought up the zeal of the Lord in Christ himself. This importance for prayer. This importance for the witness of prayer. And the opportunity for prayer. Solomon goes on, verses 44 through 53, and again, I'm just skipping past, giving you the highlights. He prays for compassion, more prayer for the event of them falling away, and Lord, if we fall away, uh, verse 47, when they come to themselves, Lord, when we realize that we're in a place of captivity even, 
when we're in a place of struggle because of our own sin, our own doing, our own departure from you. But Lord, when we come to ourselves, please hear our prayer and be merciful to us. I like that phrase, for when they come to themselves. It reminds me of the prodigal son. You remember that story Jesus told, the prodigal son who left his father's good, uh, took his father's inheritance and went out and lived wastefully. And he ended up you know, losing it all, and he ended up in a t- tough place, remember, feeding the swine. And it says, but when he came to himself, he realized that even my father's servants back home have it better than this. I'm going to go home and repent. I'm coming back. When you come to yourself, and that's what Solomon is saying, Lord, no matter how bad it gets, if, if and when we come to ourselves, please hear our prayer. And that's a, good, that's a good reminder for us. Sometimes we need to come to ourselves. Lord, help us come to ourselves. And I suggest you come to yourself sooner rather than later and come home to the Lord. Come back to prayer. Come back to faith. Come back to covenant relationship with him. Finally, uh, verses 54 through 61, Solomon blesses the people and uh, sends them uh, you know, in- encourages them, bless the Lord who's given this people rest. He prays over the people that are there. He talks of the Lord's faithfulness. He talks of the rest that he has provided. He says that God, God not, 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 nothing has failed. Not one word of all your good promise has failed. God has been faithful. May he maintain our cause, he prays, that the peoples of the earth may know. And again, Solomon connecting, Lord, as you bless us, as you minister to this people, may all the nations hear and know that there is the, tr- the true God alive in our nation. And it reminds me just of our, our responsibility as a church. Today, we don't have a temple that we go and meet the Lord in. We are the temple of the Lord individually as the Holy Spirit dwells in us and corporately as we come together. That's what we've been looking at here tonight, a special presence of God when we come together. And Solomon prayed that God, your blessing, that you would maintain our cause, that your presence would always be here, that you would always hear prayer, that even if we have to repent and come back, but you would always meet us and that all the world would know And I think that's kind of our call as a church, as the body of Christ, that as we come together, all the world would know God is in that place. God is answering prayer amongst that people. The dynamic of God's presence is there. You can feel it when you walk into the room and they're worshiping. I'm not talking about, you know, some spooky emotionalism. I'm just talking about God's presence being so among us that it becomes a witness to the world. It becomes a witness to those that would come and join our fellowship. It becomes a witness as a light when you live out in your community. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 that when the gifts of the Spirit of God are operating in your midst, when God's presence is there as you're in your gathering, that when men come in, they will be convinced by all, they will be convicted by all, 
and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Well, that's the kind of gatherings we want. We want to be together with such a sincerity, with such a a spirit of worship, Oh, with the Holy Spirit so ministering, even through the word, that, it, that, it's, that the secrets of men's hearts are revealed, not by anything that I'm doing or saying, but by the Holy Spirit who is honoring his word as it goes out, as, as God is ministering, the secrets of his heart. And he'll say, surely God is in this place. God is convicting me. I am convinced this is real. These people are legitimate, sincere. There is something good, something happening here that is spiritually alive and they will fall down on their face. In other words, they will humble themselves and worship the Lord. Finally, verses 62 and 66, this dedication is ended with a great feast. I mean, they turn it into this just, you know, a huge tailgate party. I mean, it is barbecue galore. They're offering, it says they, they, they just 22,000 bulls. That's a lot of beef. And 120,000 sheep. Okay, you get the idea. Finally, verse 65, and that time Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him, a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God, seven days and then seven more days, so a total of 14 days. On the eighth day, that is the, 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 the eighth day after the second week, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went to their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the good that the Lord had done for his servant David and for Israel his people. So that's the outcome of this great celebration, this gathering, this dedication of the temple. It ends with just a kind of a, a, a feast, a, a two-week celebration. But when they went home, they all went home with joy and gladness of heart. And I do pray that the Lord would give us that kind of encouragement when we come together. I do pray that coming to church would not become some religious duty that we do or just some, well, you know, I have to, you know, it's just part of being a good Christian. I believe it is, but I really hope that it will become something that, you know, when, you, when we leave, there's a joy and gladness of heart. We're encouraged because we know the Lord has been with us. We feel like the Lord's spoken to us from the word. We feel like the Holy Spirit has ministered to us during worship. Something of our spiritual life has been nourished and encouraged and refreshed. And we need that, don't we? I mean, you know, you had a good meal yesterday, but you get hungry today, don't you? You know, uh, so, so, so our spiritual lives need that nourishment too. It's not always easy to come to church, especially on Wednesday nights. God bless you. <laughs> But I pray, I pray that it'll be worth it. I pray that it'll be refreshing. And I think if we come with that heart, Lord, meet me tonight. God, I want to hear from heaven. Lord, I need to be with you. I need the Holy Spirit to touch me. I don't want to just kind of come in, drag myself in here. Okay, let's get this over because I want to get home into bed. Or, you know, Sunday, oh man, there's games on. I hope the pastor's 
you know, on time today. <laughs> no, I, I hope that it'll be, you know what? Make room for the ark. Make room for the presence of God in your life. We've got a lot of other things that we can spend time on. This is special for the believer. This is a special time of gathering, a special time of refreshing from the Lord. Ask the worship team to come. We want to close tonight with some more worship. I pray that tonight we'll go home with joy and gladness of heart. It doesn't mean that, that the problems are gone. You walk out the door, they'll still be there. But something was encouraging here. You, you felt like the Lord spoke to you. You felt like the Lord ministered to you. Joy and gladness of heart. As they're coming, I, I do want to... I do want to pray and ask the Lord just to uh, encourage us with this word. And then I want to give opportunity. If anyone needs to respond tonight, I want to pray for you. But let me pray first. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this temple, a temple made of living stones, a temple made of your people come together. Lord, we're glad for the new covenant. We're thankful for the old, Lord, as it, as it foreshadowed and teaches us of the new. But Lord, we live in a new and better covenant, the covenant of Jesus Christ and his atoning blood. Not the blood of bulls or sheep or animals, but the blood of Jesus Christ, once and for all offered on the mercy seat, that we might know forgiveness of sin. And God, I want to make room in my heart tonight for that covenant relationship to be alive and strengthened by your spirit thank you for listening to audio from calvary chapel monrovia to view and listen to more sermons please visit www.ccmonrovia.org